You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. Well, this month on In Context, we're wading into some interesting waters. We're interviewing a number of people around the election and what it means as a believer in Christ to go to the polls. We have an unprecedented election in our history in front of us between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. We'll do our best to try and give a fair approach to these questions, not trying to take a side, but letting our guests argue for their point. I hope you'll join us. It'll be a stimulating, and I pray, a hopeful conversation as we enter the polls. Well, on today's broadcast, you're going to hear an interview with Wayne Grudem that we did a few weeks back. Now, this interview was done prior to the October 7 comments by Donald Trump that came from a 2005 audio, and by now I'm sure you've heard or seen that information. Since that release, Wayne has retracted the article that was originally submitted to Town Hall Magazine in July of this year. So, as you listen to the interview, keep in mind, Wayne has retracted his position. However, in the interview, you're going to learn a lot about thinking critically about politics and the Christian mind. And also, if you will go to our website, michaelincontext.com, we'll have a link for Wayne's recent articles and even some follow-up articles written by others. We hope you enjoy the broadcast. You will be glad you have joined this broadcast today. We're talking with Dr. Wayne Grudem. Wayne's pedigree is a long list, but I want to give you a little highlight of this individual if you don't know Wayne. Wayne is a graduate of Harvard University with a BA, Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, where he accomplished both an MDiv and a Doctorate of Divinity. Then he went to the University of Cambridge to earn a PhD. He has served as the president of the Evangelical Theological Society in 1999. He's been active in ETS for years, a member of the Translation Oversight Committee for the ESV, which many of our listeners, that's their Bible of choice. He was the general editor for the ESV Study Bible in 2008. He's written 20 books and counting, including Systematic Theology, The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament, and today, Business for the Glory of God, and a massive tome I have on my lap beside me, Politics According to the Bible, and then along with Barry Asmus, The Poverty of Nations, A Sustainable Solution. It was also a co-editor of one of the most important books in our time, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. He and John Piper and many contributors. Wayne, I could go on, but I'm going to stop there. Thanks for your time. Michael, it's just good to be back on the phone with you and talking with you. We've been friends for many years, and I'm glad to join you on the program. Well, let's jump right into it. I'm going to read Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed it will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. I'm going to stop there. Wayne, help me out with this passage, because a lot of us, a lot of Christians would say, boy, the governing authority is not good. How am I to be in subjection to a corrupt, flawed governing authority? Well, of course, Paul wrote that when Nero was the Roman emperor, and uh, that was a flawed government as well. But Paul said, and it's God's word, that those authorities are in place by God. There's no authority except from God. 
And so we submit to the governing authority. When they do wrong, of course, what the disciples did, the apostles did, when they were told not to preach the gospel, then they resisted and preached the gospel anyway. They disobeyed the government when it was commanding them to sin against God, but otherwise they were subject to it. Now, the question is, Michael, of course, when the Bible says that God makes nations great and he destroys them and executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another, and he rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, we believe that, but uh, there are times in history when God has allowed evil rulers to come into power as a means of judgment on nations, and we don't seek that. We seek good rulers, and we want good rulers by which God will protect us through good laws and advance good works for the glory of God. So we seek a ruler who will be a blessing to a nation uh, rather than one who will be a judgment, God's judgment on a nation. And you have written an article on July 28th. 2016 that was published in Town Hall and went viral. Why voting for Donald Trump is a morally good choice. A, did you have any inclination this would be the maelstrom when you submitted it? (laughs) No, I guess not. I I, I think the editors at townhall.com were a little surprised too because it was their top trending article for, I think, for weeks. It was amazing the impact it had and it's I think over 690,000 shares on Facebook now, and well over 2 million people have read it. Many people have written to me and said, thank you for this. I sent it to 10 friends, I sent it to 30 friends, and that kind of thing. So I'm glad for that. I didn't support Donald Trump in the primaries. I was on the Religious Liberty Advisory Board for Marco Rubio, and he, to my mind, represented the values that I thought were consistent with biblical teaching and was a good candidate, but he didn't win when he dropped out. Then I was supporting Ted Cruz for a while, but he didn't win either. And now uh, we're faced with a choice between Donald Trump, who says that he's supporting nearly all, all or nearly all of the conservative positions that I think are consistent with Scripture in terms of the, the courts and taxes and the military and small government and more freedom and many other things. And Hillary Clinton, who opposes those issues that I wrote in this book in 2010, seem to be supported by biblical values. So Trump is supporting biblical values on a dozen issues, and uh, Hillary Clinton is opposing them. So I wrote, he's a flawed candidate, and I mentioned a number of flaws in Donald Trump's character. Yeah, let, let, me, let me read part of that. Let me read part of that. He is egotistical, bombastic, and brash. He often lacks nuance in his statements. Sometimes he blurts out mistaken ideas, such as bombing the families of terrorists, and he later must abandon. He insults people. He can be vindictive when people attack him. He's been slow to disown and rebuke wrongful words and actions of some angry fringe supporters. He has been married three times and claims to have been unfaithful in his marriages. These are certainly flaws, you write, but I don't think they are disqualifying flaws in this election. Boom. Yeah, and I've I've had people write me, Michael, and say, you know, look what the Bible says about choosing leaders who uh, have good character and are above reproach and are blameless. Well, those are leaders for the church, and Donald Trump would not qualify to be a pastor in my church anyway. So he's what I call a flawed candidate, but he is promoting the values, especially on the Supreme Court, uh, the kind of justices he would choose, that uh, I think are very important for the future of the nation. Right now we have four liberal justices on the Supreme Court, Ginsburg, Breyer, Meyer, and Sotomayor. And when Kennedy votes with them, there's five, five to four majority. And now with Scalia's death, it's a five to three or four to three liberal majority. 
And uh, Hillary Clinton gets to nominate and see the appointment of a liberal justice to replace Scalia. Then it's five to three liberals or five to four liberals dominating the Supreme Court. And one after another, they're going to enact all the liberal policies that have been resisted by Christians for years. And so all the restrictions and concerns that have been enacted regarding abortion, for instance, ultrasound requirements, parental consent, waiting periods, prohibition on non-doctors, that would just be swept away by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court could just nullify all those and say they're restricting an absolute right to abortion. And there'd be nothing for Christian organizations to do anymore because abortion would be established as an ultimate absolute right in the country. And any time Congress or the states tried to pass legislation that would restrict that abortion right, they would just say, oh, it's unconstitutional. Sorry, you lose. Uh, and then it would be on many other issues, on freedom of religion, on religious liberty, on marriage, on many other things. And I think the Supreme Court would just be basically the dictators over the nation. And that's what liberals are seeking because they can't win at the ballot box. Let's, let's talk about the third party or a non-vote. You have uh, gone on record in the article saying that if you don't vote, you're de facto voting for Hillary and then the logic applies to the same. If you vote for a third party, you're giving that vote to Hillary. Is that flawed logic, Wayne? Well, it depends on what the person would do otherwise. See, if you've got John Smith out here and he's saying, well, you know, I'm conservative. I don't like Donald Trump because he's a flawed character. So I'm going to vote for a third party to protest. Well, if he's doing that instead of voting for Trump, then Hillary needs one less vote to win. But we don't know for sure, right, where that vote would go. No, but it's conservative evangelicals who are saying this, and they generally have voted for the conservative Republican candidate. So basically taking votes away from Trump. It's a question of, you know, where, where are the votes taken away from? I have friends, and good friends, whom I respect, and they say I just can't vote for that flawed candidate. And I say, well, okay, it's a free country. You're free to decide that. But um, look what we're getting as a result. If you have a flawed candidate who's going to enforce the policies that you support, I don't see why you shouldn't support him and vote for him. You're not voting to endorse his moral character. You're voting to endorse the policies that he and the party that he represents are going to enact. And I, I don't know, Michael, I sat down the other night and read through the whole platform of the Democratic Party and the whole platform of the Republican Party, 50-some pages each. My goodness, there's a tremendous difference between the principles espoused by those two parties and 70 to 80 percent of the time people elected vote consistent with the uh, positions in their platforms really we're just we're voting for two different parties two two different worldviews and that's the choice we have when we look at the last three decades which is about the only time i've paid uh, attention to politics wayne the so-called conservative movement extolled sanctity of life and uh, heterosexual monogamous marriage they had at least eight years of a supermajority over that 30-year time span when they could have enacted DOMA, when they could have overturned Roe v. Wade, when they could have put a better legislation in place regarding partial birth abortion, for example. Not, not, I, don't, I don't agree with that, Michael, because this uh, foolish rule in the U.S. Senate that you can, if 40 senators disagree, you have a filibuster and you stop action. Granted, granted, granted. Things that Democrats have have blocked in the Senate. So, uh, but but let me let me finish the the thought. Let me finish the thought. In thirty years, they have told this evangelical block that's what they're about, and they've not delivered. Now we can well we can hide behind you know Mitch McConnell and John Boehner and some of the statements they made, and I I get that. But I'm also saying that's where they quote bought our vote. 
what do you say to the to the believer who says, I'm not going to vote for Trump or for Hillary, but I'm going to vote down ballot? Better than not voting, but it's it's losing your voice in the crucial decision of who's going to appoint justices to the Supreme Court. You wrote, the teachings of Scripture do not allow us to escape moral responsibility that say we decide to do nothing. Obadiah rebuked the people of Edom for standing by and doing nothing to help when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem. And then you quote yeah. Obadiah 1.11, on that day you stood aloof on that day. Foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. Yep. Is it is it a sin, Wayne, for a believer not to vote? I think I would say yes, Michael. I haven't been asked that question directly before. But... Um, God has given us as citizens the ability to have a part in governing the country. And so the scriptural teachings that apply to wise rulers and how people should rule and govern, they apply to every voter because we have in voting the ability to partially rule the nation. And if we fail in that responsibility, we're not following what God tells us to do. So people are listening to you and me have this conversation. You've got somebody who's one of the above. They're not going to vote. They can't find it in themselves to vote for this flawed character. Fill in the blank. What would you say to them to encourage them to vote and how to vote? There's only one realistic choice, and that is which political party is going to rule the nation with its policies. The the two political parties are diametrically opposed on issue after issue. And I would say to people, one of those two parties is going to govern the nation and determine the future of the Supreme Court. That's a very weighty responsibility. I would say people have to take that seriously. And much is at stake. The future of the nation is at stake. Wayne Grudem, author, professor, theologian, and friend. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Michael. Have a question or comment about today's show? Send Michael a note on Twitter at Dr. Easley. Thanks again for listening.